glad that you're here uh, worshiping with us in our sanctuary or worshiping with us at home. This is a bit of a transition, transition Sunday for us as we, uh, some deal, to some degree, have a little bit of a remnant of Thanksgiving, but then at the same time, we're, we transition into our time of Advent where we want to slow down at least over these days uh, to ready ourselves for Christmas. Uh, so um, do glad that you, I am glad that you're here and, and celebrating with your families. I know some of the family have members. People have family members that are in from out of town, and we're, we're, we're delighted that you're here. Let, let's pray. Well, God, as we transition in our worship service, where we want to move from, uh, move from one aspect to another, uh, where we want to invite the Scripture lesson to be used by you in such a way that uh, uh, forms the nature of Christ inside of us. We, we know that can't happen um, without the addition of your Holy Spirit, so we want to be open to that, to... to your presence, to guide and direct, and if for if this is a work that is for the first time, then so be it, O oh God. If it's something that uh, transitions us and transforms us, even if it's to the smallest of degree, uh, then we want to pray for that as well. Uh, what we care about, O oh God, is the net effect where our nature becomes more like the nature of Christ. And again, we ask for your help, and we pray this in your name. Amen. One of the uh, authors that I like to read, uh, particularly when I've got not a, a, a great amount of time, but just a small amount of time, is uh, John Grisham's books. Many of you are familiar with John Grisham. Uh, I, I like his writing, too, because at one point in my life, I, I thought I was going to be an attorney and have always had an affection uh, for the law. And if you're aware of a number of his books, they normally involved either an attorney or a court case, and then how that might be developed into, you know, a number of different ways. And but every now and then he'll he'll leave leave that level or, or of genre, and he'll move into what I call uh, just a feel good story. And one of his early attempts at this was the book uh, called Skipping Christmas. Now you might be familiar with Skipping Christmas. If you're not with that particular book, you're definitely familiar with the movie version of it which is Christmas with the Cranks. Uh, Tim Allen, some of you might, I see some of y'all smiling, so you've, you've at least somewhere back in your mind uh, can, can remember that story. Well, well this, the, the book, and, and also the movie, it involves two main, main characters, Nora and Luther Crank. And, and Luther Crank, he's a, a bit of a commudron. He's a little scrooges in his activities, and uh, he, he's, he's sort of a... a money miser type person, and uh, they have one daughter, Blair, and, and Blair is about to do a two-year stint with the Peace Corps, and so the book opens up with Nora and Luther getting ready to ship uh, Blair off to Peru, where she'll do her time uh, with the Peace Corps, and on the way back, the, the, the mother, Nora, is all upset, and Luther's just sort of kind of grumpy and, and what have you, and and, and later on that night, after, after Blair left, he goes down into his office in his basement, and he begins to look at his last year tax returns, and what he discovers is that he spent about 7% of his income on Christmas and decorations and all the celebrations that go with it. And so he comes up with this bright idea that what if we just skipped Christmas and instead of doing all the things that we do for Christmas, the parties, the decorations, the, you know, the gifts, everything that's tied to the holiday, what if we skipped that and we went on a Caribbean cruise? 
not a bad deal. Yeah, I like the Caribbean. Uh, so, note, hey, what if we skip that? Brooke, you okay with that? You know, so uh, not, 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 no, no takers. You know. What makes it worse for the cranks is that they live in the Riverside community, which is a place, a suburb in the book outside of Chicago, and their whole suburb, their whole community geeks Christmas. Every house looks the same. It, it's, it's all lit up. They have the 12-foot Frosty, the snowman on, on each rooftop, and, and Hemlock Street is famous. That's the, the street that the, the, the cranks they, they live on. It's famous for, for all the decorations, and there's carolers, and there's people that come just to witness everything Christmas on that particular street. And the story is about the, the comedic adventures that the cranks endure all you know, while trying to skip it all in hopes that one day, or at least on Christmas Day, they'll hop on a plane, and to the Caribbean they go. It all turns south when Blair, their daughter, calls them after she landed in Miami to say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm coming home on Christmas Eve, which is that day. I'll be home in seven hours, and I'm bringing my fiancé that I want to introduce to you and introduce to the entire community because all I've done is brag about what we do at Christmas. And, of course, they've skipped it. And so about a, the, the last 40% of the book, they're, they're scurrying around trying to find food and make them, you know, to, to invite people to this party. And it's, it's sort of it's very comedic and funny. Reading this story, and I read it about every three, or four, every three or four years, I'll read it at this time of the year. And I just finished it probably about a, about a month ago. And there was a part of me that wondered, I wonder how many Luther cranks are in this room right now. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. It's all right. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, there's part of me, and, and John and Buddy are not here to defend themselves. They're the other clergy. But I can tell you that they think about January the 2nd during Advent. That one of the greatest things that a clergy enjoys is the minute the benediction is given on the last service of Christmas Eve. Now, I don't. I mean, I'm the pure one here, you know. Buddy and John, if they're honest, they would tell you that, oh, yeah, listen, can I just go to sleep and wake up on January 2nd? Not me. John will be back by tomorrow. So, by the way, you can, you know, hopefully he's not listening to this. I'm sorry, John. But I wonder how many Luther cranks we have. There's this idea of, you know, with all the hassle, the getting the house ready and the gifts and, and the parties and everything that goes into this, this season. And at the same time, it's also the end of the year. So some of you, your professions are tied to the end of the year. And so there's, everything is just amped up. And so there is at least one aspect that says, well, you know, skipping Christmas, that might not be you know, too bad of an idea. When I finished reading the book again, I asked the question to myself, what if God decided to skip Christmas? Would that really make a difference? I mean, does it really mean that much? I mean, what if no Advent, no Christmas Day? So what I want us to do throughout our Advent time together is, at least with the sermons, I want us to tackle that question, what if God skipped Christmas? And I want to look at it through those parts of the gospel that deal with the birth of Christ and the incarnation. Well, today, you've heard the scripture lesson. Today, we're going to look at it through the lens of the Magi, the three wise men 
really wasn't three. We assume three from the, from the number of gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. The odds are it was larger than three. It would have been uh, probably a, a great number of people and their families. There would have been leaders, and then they would have had servants and, and support staff, and they would have had their families because travel in the ancient world was very dangerous, and so there was safety in number. Three would be an easy target. It, it was a great deal more than three people. But we say three just because of the gifts. But the Magi, they were astrologers. That'd probably be a better word. And, and, and by that, what I mean is that they sought meaning to life and direction in life by looking out into the world. They, they were observers, what they observed either in the world or what was going on around them. Then they would somehow process that, process that in hopes that it would give meaning, maybe give a direction. They were liberal arts people, knew a little about a lot. They were well-rounded well meaning that in their observations of either what was going on either with different kingdoms or different empires or what was going on maybe with, in, in military with, with different people or what was going on politically, they then would process things. They didn't have a, uh, an Apple News or a news source that they could pull up on their phone every day. So what they did is they watched the world in hopes that then they could process and maybe even find meaning or direction. They were also outsiders, meaning they were not Jewish. They were not royalty. They were Gentile seekers, observers. And what they observed was that there was an interruption to life with this star, so much so that they were compelled to act upon it, to act upon that interruption to investigate. Now, all of this was in the backdrop of the Greek world, which was to eat, drink, and be merry. And so here you see with the Magi, people that long for something more than just the status quo. And so for them, in their searching, in their observing, believed that there was something more, and it was worth the risk to travel, Difficult, dangerous, it's costly. But that was a price they were willing to pay in hopes to find something more to life. Now, not knowing where to look, again, they're outsiders, and they're moving into a predominantly Jewish land. Uh, as an outsider, you would go to the person that you think would have all the information, which would have been King Herod, self-titled King of the Jews. So he should know what was going on inside of his own backyard. But in their engagement, they discovered quickly that Herod really didn't know. But Herod was not, he wasn't stupid. So he quickly figured out what was going on. And so he called his historians, his theologians, his priests, his, his people that should know. And, and of course, they investigated the Old Testament and, and they knew the scripture that it pointed to a place in Bethlehem. You know, what's interesting to me, and this is a side note in the passage, the people who should know don't. And it's the outsider that perceives. It's the outsider who observes. That's interesting to me. 
Well, what they're told, it's Bethlehem, and so that's about 10 miles from, from Jerusalem, about a half a day's journey for them. And so they, what they didn't experience were those nice, big, green signs on the side of the interstate to Bethlehem that said, 10 more miles to Jesus. They didn't find that. Wasn't any direction, no GPS, no flashing signs, no flyers, no maps. And so they had to meander their way, but eventually they found him. Wasn't a king's quarters. Maybe something more along the lines of uh, lower middle class. That's the dwelling. No big band was playing, no trumpet to announce, no speaker to say, here, come on in. They saw humility in an everyday life. But the text is clear. They knew their search was over. And it's also clear in saying that after their engagement here, their experience, that they left fulfilled, even overjoyed, so much so that it compelled him to worship, honor, and adore. So that's the Magi. Does this really matter? I mean, what if God just sort of took a Caribbean cruise for the Magi? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? What if God decided to skip this? Does it make a difference? I would argue yes. Because Matthew is clear that the Magi were Gentiles. In fact, they were the first Gentiles to see something different in the person Jesus. When everybody else who should see, who should perceive, they don't. And yet these outside observers, they see it. And what they saw was this larger message of God's salvific work for all people in the person Christ. That in Jesus, a message of hope and redemption for all people, not just those on the inside. And the rest of the gospel, and not just Matthew's gospel, but all the gospels, are filled with multiple examples of what the Magi witness. That Jesus as a Messiah for all people. Now I have to tell you, as a Gentile, I'm grateful. Grateful for this story as one who is a searcher, an observer. Many of you have heard me say this multiple times, and I've, it won't be the last time. One of the things that, that sort of orients me in my life is I look for the same themes that are going on outside of me. Maybe in another person's life, maybe going on in the world. And, and because they, they, in my mind, are these moments that when perhaps God is trying to get my attention. And so I look for them. Seek to observe them. Search for them. Because I definitely want to find meaning to it. Find meaning in my life. And I'm not the greatest risk taker by far. But I will tell you this. What's been a long part of my life faith-wise 
is I do want to know fairly certain that this journey that leads to Jesus actually is really worth it. That my life wouldn't be spent spinning my wheels on nothing. And so I understand the Magi. Deserving, searching, somebody that's on the outside, sometimes looking in, all in hopes that what I find is something that leads to fulfillment, even joy. And if I had to guess, I'm not the only Magi here. I've been doing this long enough to know that what's common to, to, to people is that we all are looking for something more, more meaningful, longing for direction. And we sure don't want our life to be spent and it leads to nothing. And it actually makes a difference. And it's worth it. Even if that journey is risky and costly. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of magi here. And so does it matter if God just skipped this? Yeah, it matters a great deal. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter what brings us to Jesus. For the magi, it's observation about the cosmos. The stars. How many of you on a clear night have walked out maybe on the beach or the mountains and it's dark and when you can actually see the stars because it's, it, you're out of the city that you don't look up? Sometimes looking in awe. Well, that's the Magi. So it doesn't matter what brings us to Jesus. What that journey looks like. The truth is, it's going to look different for probably for everybody in this room because we're not the same. And for some, the journey is not long, and for others, it's very long. But the destination, that's the same. For some, it might be meandering for a while. But like the Magi, upon finding him, there's something in that interchange, in that engagement, that compels them to worship, to honor, and adore. So if you ask me, is it really that important that perhaps we could just skip it I would give you a resounding no. Not here. Because in some form or fashion, we're all observers and seekers. And we're longing for fulfillment. And just like them, they found it in Christ. So may that be for you. Oh God, as we read this passage, one that we've read a million times, 
And to some degree, we'll see it on a countertop or a piece of furniture, a little trinket of two or three people, maybe on a camel, maybe one kneeling. And just as those seekers found something, they, they perceived what you were doing in Jesus Christ. And then they had the boldness to go and search and then to find. Oh, that would be our story, oh God. That you would interrupt our life in any way that sees fit, maybe even with a star, in hopes that that begins our journey or maybe completes it where we find our rest in you. Oh God, this is our prayer and our hope that we pray. And we pray this in your name. Amen.